0: Right. This morning we're going to continue our study here in 1 Kings and kind of pick up a little bit to look at a few more items that we did not pick up last week uh, as we were studying the uh, really Elijah there on the mount and as he calls down fire on uh, the priests of Baal and a wonderful story of God's uh, grace and his God's deliverance as well as God's uh, uh, declaration uh, (laughs) of his power over all other idols and uh, that he is supreme. We spoke about, when you think about Elijah, a man whose main name means the Lord or Jehovah is my God. It was an appropriate name because the people, his name was, and Elijah's ministry was to bring the people back to a, a worship of Jehovah God. He is very important, and it's just these two chapters here in 1 Kings where we read about him in detail uh, and his particular ministries with which God worked upon his heart. We start off 1 Kings 17 with him declaring a drought, no rain, no dew. From here he runs for his life, he's by the brook Cherith, God feeds him with ravens, ravens feed him. And then he goes from there and he goes to a widow woman asking her uh, to feed him. And he has food from empty vessels. Then that widow woman with whom he helped, her son dies. And this is the first instance in the scriptures of a resurrection of a dead person. And what this resulted in is a woman placing her faith in God. He would have thought everything else that had happened and transpired uh, would have brought her to the place of Faith in God, but it had not. She saw her son come to life and she realized who Elijah was as a mighty man of God. And during these three years of exile, as he's running for his life, he was a hunted man, as you would see in 1 Kings 18:10. As Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation nor kingdom, whither my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said he is not there, he took an oath to the kingdom and nation that they found thee not. I mean, he's running for his life. And during this three-year period of time of exile, in running for his life, Elijah learns a great deal about God. He learns about his own needs and, uh, and the needs of the people. He's learned to live day by day with a complete trust in God for his daily bread. The second illustration of Elijah's successor there of healing a leper, Elisha. Now, I want to get to the, the point, and I want to come a little bit more in depth. We kind of hurried through it last week uh, for the sake of time. But uh, Obadiah, as we look in this passage of Scripture, Elijah's hidden himself by the brook Cherith. And, uh, and then with the widow there in Zarephath. But now he's commanded by God to go show himself to wicked King Ahab. And He's fearful. I mean, he's thinking, what in the world am I going to do? And along with God's uh, command comes God's promise that he's going to send rain and he's going to end the drought that God had sent to punish the idolatrous people there in the idolatrous nation of Israel. So as he's going, he meets Obadiah. Obadiah meets Elijah, the first 16 verses here in 1 Kings 18. Then Elijah meets King Ahab. Let's look. pick up here, verse 17, 1 Kings 18, 17. It came to pass, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? You know, it's interesting, when someone is in sin and and someone meets them, oftentimes they will try to blame the other person for their problems rather than taking uh, ownership of their problem. They don't take responsibility, and that's exactly what happened in Elijah's instance. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. I mean, here's potentially, I mean, 450 plus another 400, 850 people who are false leaders. Leading the blind. Verse 20. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together into Mount Carmel. This is first Kings eighteen, verse twenty verse twenty-one of chapter eighteen. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? So he's calling them to a clear declaration of who are you going to serve? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him, and the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah to the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are four hundred and fifty men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first. For you are many, and call the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it. And called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made, and it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awaked. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past. And they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice, nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid them on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time. And They did it the second time. He said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar and he filled the trench also with water. It came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me. This people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, They fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. There's representatives from all ten tribes of Israel present. Elijah's purpose in this lengthier passage that we read was to expose the false god Baal, but also to bring compromised Israel back to himself. It's amazing that 450 prophets are so convinced, they readily accept the offer from Baal uh, from Elijah, excuse me. They accept Elijah's offer to put Baal to the test. I mean, they are so uh, determined, they so believe in their God, so deeply entrenched in idolatrous practice that they have no qualms, no questions, no caveats. There's no prerequisites to the agreement they make with Elijah. They are convinced. And Elijah calls the people who are limping between two opinions, they're for Baal and they're for God. Syncretism is an abomination to God. God hates where you're giving homage to idols and homage to himself. He wants none of it. Like Moses and Elijah before, Moses and Joshua, excuse me, like (laughs) Moses and Joshua, Elijah calls for a definite decision. If he's the Lord, follow him. If he's Baal, then follow him. And the people want to see what's going to happen and hear in a wonderful demonstration of God's power. I mean, these people are weak and without true conviction. They're not saying, thus saith the Lord. They'll say, well, we'll follow our eyes. A faithless generation. Elijah weighs the tests in favor of the prophets of Baal. He allows them to build their altar first. Take all the time you need. And they did. As Elijah says, I am the only prophet. Now understand this, he had met Obadiah. Obadiah had been hiding out a hundred prophets. But Elijah is the only prophet that is publicly speaking out against Baal worship, against a corrupt government. He is the only one to openly serve God and show the people, hey, there is still a God in Israel. We understand that one with God is a majority. So the prophets had no fears. These false prophets. I mean, they are zealous. And, and they believe that, that, God, that this Baal, they'll be heard by him. I mean, you, you look back in Israel's history, Leviticus 9:24, and there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt, sac- the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces, the tabernacle. First, first Chronicles 21:26, and David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and called upon the Lord, and he answered him from heaven by fire, upon the altar burnt offering. I mean, they had seen it happen before, but in their convoluted, distorted, wicked minds, they had taken what belonged to God, the worship, the glory, the preeminence of God, and somehow changed it into an image, as we find in Romans 1, a four-footed beast, Baal, bale, a cow. And under this conviction in their hearts, so convinced that Baal has power, they begin to dance and they're running all around. I mean, they're jumping on the altar. What do we have to do? Understand this, that idolatry is you trying to do enough to merit the attention of whatever idol you're seeking to to merit, to, to seek the attention from. And, and it's all false, it's all unbiblical. So by noontime, Elijah is laughing at these prophets. Psalm chapter 2, verse 4, Psalm 2, 4, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. The false prophets, the heathen, God says, listen, there's going to be laughter at their foolishness. I mean, they're dancing, they're cutting themselves. I mean, they look like a bunch of silly people. And you know what the funny thing is, they as they're doing all this nonsense, Elijah says, well, maybe he's sleeping. So they think, well, maybe there's some legitimacy to that. So they become more frantic, more zealous, only to find the vanity of their actions. At three o'clock, the time of the evening sacrifice, there in Jerusalem at the temple... Elijah steps forward and he takes charge. Who originally built the altar that Elijah used? It would have been a believer there from the remnant in Israel who privately worshipped God. And the altar had been destroyed, probably by the prophets of Baal. Chapter 19, verse 10. So he uses 12 stones, he reaffirms the spiritual unity of God's people in spite of their political division, right? Ten tribes and two tribes. It's a divided nation, it's a corrupt government. Both governments are very corrupt. He digs a trench around and three times pours four jugs of water, four barrels of water on it. Now Elijah is so convinced... Of the authority and the power as well as God leadership to do whatever he's, what he's doing right now. He is so convinced in his mind. He puts the sacrifice on. He drenches it. Water all around the ditch. He lifts his voice up in prayer. That's it. He's not dancing around. He's not doing all these other, uh, you know, adulations, all these things for worship, trying to seek for God's favor. His request is that God is glorified. We'll talk about that this evening in our evening service. He asked God to send fire from heaven. Verse 37, hear me, O Lord, hear me. That this people may know that Thou art the what? Lord God, the Jehovah Elohim. The I Am. Self-existent One. That Thou hast turned their heart back again. In verse 39 we find a congregational unified repentance. Essentially, remember back in Second Chronicles, look with me here in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. He's perhaps thinking of Solomon's prayer as he's dedicating the temple. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. If I command the locusts to devour the land... Or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open, my ears attend to the prayer that is made into this place. I mean, it's unbelievable what he's doing here as he prays, I mean, he understands, hey, if we're praying towards the temple, praying towards the God of heaven, there is Elijah praise. I mean, God comes down, sends the fire from heaven, it consumes all the water, consumes all the meat, and it turns the stones to dust. I mean, it just, it's gone. That would have been quite the sight. I mean... Consume the burnt sacrifice, consume the wood, consume the stones and the dust, and looked up the water that was in the trench. I mean, there is nothing left. I mean, there's not even a relic. There's not even dust left that people could say, well, here's some holy stones, Uh, here's some holy dust. There's nothing left. Because God, there's nothing intrinsic in what God. Uh, in any of those objects, the power was from God. The Catholic Church were like, well, we found some of this Elijah dust, and we'll sell it to you. That's not what he's saying. He said, God says, I don't want any of that. I want it all to come to me. And the people understand the prophets of Baal stand there with eyes uh, wide open, mouths aghast at what they've just seen that's a magnificent display of God's power. The Lord, he is God. But Elijah's not done yet. Verse 40, Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the Berkishon and slew them there. He said, it's not enough. Get rid of them all. Kill them all. Look with me at Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13, this is in obedience to the commands of Moses, Mosaic law, that was given to them. Deuteronomy 13, verse 13. Certain men, the children of Belial, are gone out from among you and have withdrawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which ye have not known. Then shalt thou inquire and make search and ask diligently. Behold, if it be truth. And the thing certain that such abomination is wrought among you, thou shalt surely smite the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, destroying it utterly, and all that is therein, and the cattle thereof with the edge of the sword. And thou shalt gather all the spoil of it in the midst of the street thereof, and shalt burn with fire the city and all the spoil thereof, every wit for the Lord thy God, and it shall be in heap forever. It shall not be built again. Then chapter 17 of Deuteronomy if there be found among you within any of thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, man or woman, that hath wrought wickedness in the sight of the Lord thy God, in transgressing his covenant, and hath gone and served other gods, and worshipped them, either the sun or moon, or any of the hosts of heaven, which I have not commanded, and it be told thee, and thou hast heard of it, and inquired diligently, and behold, it be true and the thing certain that such abomination is wrought in Israel, then shalt thou bring forth that man or that woman, which have committed that wicked thing into thy gates, even that man or that woman, and shalt stone them with stones till they die. Elijah says we're getting back to what God's called us to do as Israelites. We need to kill those who are leading us astray. The test that Elijah had given was a fair test. Because if God was false, then it gave opportunity for Baal to show that he was real. Now we know he's not. And the law required them to be stoned to death. Chapter 19, verse 1, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. I mean, Jezebel is now, if you'll read in chapter 19, I mean, she's angered. She's going to kill Elijah, capture him, and kill him. Let's look at verses 41 through 45 as we finish off this chapter. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat, and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. And he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. It came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there arised a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, saying to Ahab, Prepare thy chariot and get thee down that the rain stop thee not. It came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. It's been a long, disappointing day for King Ahab. And Elijah sent Ahab to <laughs> go get something to eat. Elijah goes up to Mount Carmel and begins to pray and asks the Lord to send the rain. Amy Carmichael wrote, she said, every day we live, we have to choose whether we should follow in the way of Ahab or of Elijah. Right? We'll seek ye first the kingdom of God in his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6, Elijah's unusual posture here as we look at this is he's kneeling down. Cast himself down upon them. I mean, he's prostrate. Fetal position. Just fully on out before the Lord. He's concerned for the people, realizing they need water. He's also concerned for the burden, for the glory of the Lord, that the people would put God back in first place. Seven times, Elijah sends the the servant to the Mediterranean Sea to see if there's any rain. On the seventh time, he said, there's a little cloud. The little cloud wasn't a storm, but it was a precursor to the rains that were coming. You know, it's a good example for us in these seven times to watch and pray. You know, as Jesus would tell his disciples there in the Garden of Gethsemane, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Pray. Neither the drought nor the famine. You know, the most remarkable thing in all of this is the drought didn't bring Ahab to his knees. Didn't bring Jezebel to her knees. I I mean, they didn't repent. Fire from heaven consumed, I mean... Drenched, I mean, just absolutely immersed meat and stones and wood and dust, gone in an instant by the unbelievable heat that God sends from heaven. I mean, this is more than just lightning, this is absolutely vaporized, it's gone. And yet Ahab and Jezebel, do, they see the miracles, they see the wonders of God, and they persist in their wickedness. Reminds us much like you'd find in Rome, uh, Revelation chapter 9. There during the tribulation judgments, Revelation 9, 20 and 21. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands... That they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor their fornication, nor of their thefts. In the tribulation period, people will see the unbelievable display of God's power and yet choose never to repent, never confess. Let's look at chapter 16. Verse eight, and the fourth angel poured out his vial. So here's the final seven vials. Upon the sun, and the power is given unto him to scorch men with fire, and men were scorched with great heat, and blaspheming the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven, because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. It's quite amazing that humanity can persist uh, in their hard-heartedness when confronted with the absolute power of God. And there's two responses to the power of God that is displayed. Chapter 19, verse 1, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, And with all how he had slain all the prophets with a sword, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow, about this time. You can either do as the Israelites did, as we read there in chapter 18, the Lord, he is God, or we can do as chapter 19. Jezebel says, I'm going to murder him, I'm going to kill him, I'm done with him, I'm going to be done with him who is making me look foolish. There's two choices. Much like that there in Revelation 16, people gnawing themselves in pain. And yet blaspheming the God of heaven. The Lord proves he is the true and living God. And the approval of Elijah's ministry is not men, but it is of God. Elijah did not have chariots, he had no retainers to drive the people. He did not have money or wealth. Or prestige to influence the people towards God. What did he have? He had the presence of the Lord on his life. I mean, if you remember, he's quite a poor, impoverished man altogether. Because he was living with a widow woman. He was fed by the birds. He goes to, in verse 46... I mean, he goes to Jezreel. He gets there before Ahab. I mean, he gets there before Ahab, who had a chariot. It was about 17 miles. I mean, that's quite the feat for an older man, to go 17 miles and get there before the king, who was on a chariot, but he does. And Israel has just come through a tremendous time of chastising of the Lord, judgment. They've had drought. They had famine. They had an evil king. (laughs) I mean, things are just not going well here in Israel. And God cares for his special servant Elijah through this period of time. Though we live in a wicked world, though we have an incredibly corrupt government, unethical, immoral, wicked, perverse, tyrannical, despotic, There is a God in heaven where we can still do right. And God put his hand upon Elijah's life and the power therein to show he was a true and living God. God answered the prayer of his prophet, not only for the fire from heaven, but also to return the rain to Israel. And you would think, in light of all of this, I like Elijah, he's he's kind of like us at times. We're bold and then we're fearful. In light of what's just happened here in chapter 18, you would think that Elijah would be at his pinnacle spiritually. I mean, he's just seen God do something unbelievable. A miraculous. You would think that Elijah would be ready to face anything. And yet, chapter 19 speaks of Elijah, as fearful as we will be. He still failed the Lord. As you think on these truths today, let the fire fall. God gave him strength for the journey. God provided God guided. God protected. God displayed His might in an irrefutable fashion wherewith there was not one person that could readily say that God had not done it. That God had not worked. And yet through it all, Ahab and Jezebel Persisted, maintained a defiance against Almighty God. And there are those of this world, they can see God work until their death dying day, they'll blaspheme in God's name. What a sad state. For those of us as believers, you know what? If we are doing what God wants us to do, we are continuing to exalt the Lord and let God be glorified. Then, God's presence is with us. Because it's not about us. The actions that occurred by Elijah were because of God. God upholding His glory amongst a weak, unfaithful, faithless, generation of people, and he showed himself mighty through his servant Elisha. Nothing. Elijah, excuse me. You know what, my friend? Is that God has called us to let the presence of God the presence of God should be on our lives to show the world the glory of God that he is first of all. As we come to our time to close, I trust that you would just really ponder the truth that there is a God in heaven who has all power and great things can happen if we will simply obey. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for how uh, with Elijah, Lord, he had to run for his life one time and Lord, you provided. He was exiled. And Lord, day by day, you gave him his daily bread. Day by day, you upheld him. Sometimes even by a very impoverished widow woman or by ravens. Lord, you showed yourself mighty to consume the altar and the sacrifice and all the wood and the dust and the stones. And Father, though we may be spiritually strong one moment, Lord, it's so easy to be weak the next. Father, I pray that you'd strengthen us and help us to be all that we should be for you. We love you. We thank you for being our gracious Savior. In Jesus' in this precious name, I pray. Amen. God.